Well, hello and welcome to uh, Round the Table Live with Chris Concern. And today we are talking about street preaching. Um, and I'm delighted to be welcomed by two street preachers uh, live from Swindon. Uh, John Dunn and Sean O'Sullivan um, are both here with us. And we've both had in the last hello. month, uh, good morning, good afternoon. Um, in the last month, we've both had very significant uh, victories in the court um, uh, in support of them. And we've also got our top lawyer from the Christian Legal Centre, um, Michael Phillips, who has done multiple of these uh, legal cases in support of street preachers and uh, can brief us as well on the legal angles involved. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, guys. It's great. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Uh, the question uh, we're posing is, why do the police keep arresting uh, street preachers? But John, can I start with you now? Um, you have you are a cancer survivor, and um, you've therefore not got a voice box. I understand. That's correct. Yes. Yes. yes so we have I to listen out for you. Um, yeah, I so I don't know how you manage to do street preaching without a voice, but somehow you manage it. Well, the Bible says that it's that holy men were moved as they spake by the Holy Spirit. We don't need a voice box to preach. We need the Holy Ghost. Amen. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so, listen, um, you were arrested a little while ago and charged with a hate crime and alleged homophobia. Tell us what actually happened on that day, John. Well, I was in the high street uh, preaching like I usually do. And I noticed that there was two women approaching and they were holding hands. Yep. So as they came near, I said to them, I, I hope you two are sisters. To yep. which they replied, no, we're married. And so I, I warned them about the consequences of such a lifestyle. And they just laughed and smiled and said, oh, we're Jewish. And I said, well, what's that got to do with anything? And then they disappeared behind some shops. So the whole encounter only lasted about eight to ten seconds. Right, really? And okay. so I carried, I carried on preaching. Then when I finished, about half an hour later, I made my way to the car park, the multi-story car park to get my car. And when I drove down the multi-story car park, I found that it had been blocked off by two police riot vans and three police cars there wow. to arrest me. Yes. Gosh. You're obviously, they're obviously afraid of you then, John, if they wanted all that, that lot to try and arrest you. Um, and uh, so what had happened? These, uh, I, these two women had complained about you to the police, had they? Yes, they, they complained that I was using biblical speech. That was the complaint, biblical speech. Biblical speech, yes. And you, you had quoted the Bible, had you? I had quoted the Bible, yes, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9, warning them that they would not inherit the kingdom of God. And right. so the police, 
that the police invited me for an interview. You see, I, I'd never been invited for an interview before. I thought that was that sounded quite nice. Uh, but when I got to the police station, they said, well, if you try and leave, we're going to arrest you. And I was shocked. Because I, I went there falling in free will. And then, and then you were charged, were you? They, they um, interrogated me, and uh, because I didn't even know what it was about, they didn't say when they, you know, come to arrest me. They just said, "Oh, it was a hate crime," and uh, and then they charged me with this public, you know, order offence which is crazy it is crazy it is it is absolutely crazy um and um mike tell us what happened then because it, it was about to go to court just recently and just fill us in on some of the legality of what happened here yes so what happens is this is that when you enter a not guilty the first hearing your case then gets adjourned for trial and then um you work your way towards a trial hearing and so at the trial hearing, you give evidence, the uh, Crown Prosecution Service will call its witnesses, and eventually, having heard all the evidence and legal submissions, then either the magistrates or the district judge will make a decision as to whether you are guilty or not guilty. And if you're not guilty, that's it, you can leave the court. However, if you are convicted, then at that point, you will then be punished. Uh, first of all, uh, one of the punishments is the fact that you've got a criminal record then. You are then a convicted criminal. Yeah. Uh, secondly, you may get a fine, you get community service, you may, in fact, you might go to prison. The offence for which John had been charged with wasn't a particularly serious offence uh, in the grand scheme of things. Um, it wasn't something that was likely to result in a prison sentence, but nonetheless, it, it would result in a criminal conviction. And if you get a few convictions of a like nature, then the Crown Prosecution Service or the police could apply for some type of restraint order so to stop you from going into public and preaching, uh, as we've seen in other cases. So I, I think the slightly alarming thing in this case is that, is that we had what we call skeleton arguments served in advance, um, which basically set out the case for the Crown and for the defence. And part of what the Crown said uh, in their skeleton argument was this, this document is not the form for religious debate, is what they say, but the Bible contains other material recognising slavery in Exodus chapter 21, verse 7, the death sentence, Exodus chapter 35, verse 2, and Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16, and cannibalism, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 27. Cannibalism? There are what? in the Bible which are simply no longer appropriate in italics to emphasize um, in modern society and which would be deemed offensive if stated in public. And obviously, you could imagine. That's quite a serious thing to say that, uh, you know, the Bible, as we know, at various points in uh, the history of the United Kingdom was illegal or certainly uh, if it was translated into English, it was illegal. Or if you preached in a certain if you were a nonconformist in the past and, and uh, you preached within a certain radius of, of an Anglican church, it was illegal. So there are various times in the history of the United Kingdom that reading the Bible in public has been illegal. But for I think it's probably the last 200 years or so, it hasn't been. Christians have had the freedom to read it in public or in private. But now we're getting to a situation where it's deemed to be offensive. And this 
somewhat echoes what happened um, in another case a little while ago where the Crown Prosecution Service um, uh, suggested similar things, although they said it was the King James Bible. And they said that publicly quoting from the King James Bible in modern Britain should be considered to be abusive and is a criminal matter. So that was said a few years ago. Now, this isn't what a judge has said, nor a magistrate, but it is what a government official has said concerning the Bible. And there weren't even passages that John was anywhere near quoting. Correct. That's so, right. So they're making a general statement that certain passages in the Bible ought to be a criminal offence. Is that what they really say? Well, they didn't say that on this occasion. That was said by a previous prosecutor on a previous occasion. But on this occasion, they talk about the word offensive, which is really just it is not a good word to use. You know, it's 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 the kind of word that um, means different things to different people. And you yeah. really, um, you know, because, because there is no law which says that you cannot be offensive. You know, I mean, I, I find your check shirt pretty offensive, but, <laughs> you know, I can't stop you from wearing it. Um, you know, offensive itself is, is irrelevant. However, the issue is the prohibits abusive language. Now, abusive is obviously a subset of offensiveness, and, and, and that may be illegal, maybe, but it's not offensive language per se, is not illegal. And the problem is, is that um, the police, as you may be aware, in Merseyside put out a massive poster um, yeah. which said to offend is an offense. You know, yeah, that is, offense, yeah. you offend people, you're committing an offense. And that, mm. that was taken down. Um, there were various representations made by various groups, including non-Christian groups. But <clears throat> the state is seeking to encroach into this area of free speech and say, now you offend somebody. We're mm. not having that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Sean, I want to come to you. Um, thank you that for Chris Concern posting on their comment there that they love my shirt. I'm pleased with that. Thank you. Um, and by the way, if you want to comment or ask a question of um, John or Sean or Mike, then do do that as well. Or if you want to comment on my shirt, you can do that as well. Um, but Sean, now um, you understand um, um, actually were converted through partly John's ministry. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. So tell us what happened with you. Tell us a bit about your background and, and how you became a Christian. OK, so I come from an atheist background. Um, no one in my family is, uh, has any beliefs. Um, quite a troubled childhood. I ended up going down the bad road. I ended up homeless, living in a car park when I was 15. Um, I ended wow. up doing some crimes. Um, before I knew it, I was a cracking heroin addict, an alcoholic by the age of 16. I used to have alcoholic seizures when I was 17 years old. I, went, I was just really lost, and I really hated anything to do with God, and I hated anything to do with this world, and I just had so much hate in my heart. And I remember seeing John preaching on the streets, and he would be talking about repentance and turning to God. And every week I would heckle him every week. It just drove me crazy. Uh, I couldn't bear hearing the gospel message because it was starting to convict me inside. And years later, who my who is my now wife, after I come out of prison, I went to prison. I went to prison for armed robbery. I'm not proud of it. I'm absolutely ashamed of it. But um I was a wicked man and just fueled by drugs. And I walked into a church and I remember hearing John's message of repent, repent. And I just dropped to my knees and surrendered in that church. I, I had enough. I had enough of life. And I just felt after I got born again, come off the drugs, stopped the drugs, got married, went on, had children, started a ministry called Awake in the Streets. 
um, go out and preach the gospel absolutely everywhere. But I had such a burden in my heart to to think, well, I always used to remember thinking to myself as a, as a non-Christian, where are all the Christians at? You know, I see this guy here, you know, he seems to believe what he believes, but I always wondered where are people um, standing up for the, for the truths. And that's one of the reasons I didn't like to believe in Jesus because I didn't see any Christians actually out sharing their faith much. But uh, yeah, my life changed. I felt called to street preach and it's an honor to stand with John and it's an absolutely honor to serve Jesus Christ. It's an honor to be, you know, sometimes I get spat out, pushed, punched, threatened. It's an honor to stand for Jesus Christ, the King, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who I hated with all my heart. It's an honor to stand for him publicly. Don't matter what people think of me. Listen, if you don't like Brother Sean, listen to the message. It's the word of God. God is calling this nation back to repent. God is a holy God and he has a standard. And as the nations and all the leaders, they want to push away freedom of speech. God is telling his people to stand up even further. Thank you for your support, Christian Concern. Fantastic. That's a fantastic story. What I'd like to do, um, Sean, if you're okay with this, is show a little clip of you preaching um, in Swindon. I think John is in the background of this clip as well. And uh, just so people can see what, you, what you're like now when you're on fire and preaching. Let's, let's have a watch of that if we can. My friend, they laughed at Noah. They laughed at Noah and they said, where's this rain, Noah? Where is it? Come on. Rain, rain, rain. And in the last days, my friend, I'm warning you, Jesus Christ will come back. Jesus Christ will return. And my friend, if you know anything in life, it's time to believe the gospel. It's time to repent, Swindon. It's time to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I challenge you today to go home and try and disprove the Bible. I will be here on Sunday at 11 o'clock. You try and disprove the Bible and you come and ask me a question. I dare you in the name of Jesus to do that. Disprove the historicalness of the Bible. Disprove it. But you can't and your sin is harming you against God. So whoever hears this message, let them hear, for Jesus Christ loved the world, that he gave his son, that you can have an opportunity to repent. God wants you to repent. God's not forcing you to repent. He's giving you the option. You can go home and do what you want. But my preaching today is to tell you the truth. And if you reject it, that's on you. So God bless you, Swindon. You are a lovely crowd. You are... A lovely crown. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Well, um, fantastic preaching there, Sean. Uh, you've got an amazing voice and a, a great passion for it as well. So, Sean, you got arrested there as well, didn't you, um, a little while ago? Tell us what happened yes. on that on that occasion. Oh, it was, um, I went out preaching as usual in Swindon. I was living in Bristol at the time, so I travelled down to preach with John and his wife. And I started preaching, I think maybe one hour, and a person from the crowd asked me a question about Mohammed. So I gave a 
a talk about Muhammad and the life of Jesus. So I just went through the good things that Jesus did and the things Muhammad did. And it was a very brief encounter of hearing things. And I was later arrested for racism. I was arrested racism. for racism. Just stop there a minute. Racism, that, that's, you know, Islam is not a race. No, it's an ideology. So you're arrested for racism. Yes. Um, saying things about Muhammad. What did you say about Muhammad? I said the truth about Muhammad. I said that Muhammad slept with a nine-year-old. I said that Muhammad um, did things with slaves. I said Muhammad talks about striking uh, his wife. This isn't um, Sean's ideas. This is actually in the Hadiths. It's also in the Quran. I was also banned for two years to go actually anywhere into Swindon by public transport. So I couldn't, they knew I didn't drive. So they made it very difficult for me. And in that period, my nan passed away. I was actually blocked away from being able to get into Swindon. You know, I was in the, I think I was in the police station for about a good 12 hours and I was mocked in the police station and my coat was taken off me in the police station. And they knew I didn't have a way of getting a lift back. And so I had to walk 10 miles, just under 10 miles from Gable Cross to West Swindon in the rain. And, and they found that very funny, which was a very big shame. That's really horrible. Um, and um, so I just want to pause there a minute because we just published a book called um, Questions to Ask Your Muslim Friends, which um, I co-authored. And um, those references that you mentioned there about... Um, Muhammad owning slaves and um, marrying a girl when he was when she was six and consummating it when she was nine, and also um, teaching about the treatment of women and wives and beating wives. They're all in that book, and Sean will send you a copy of that book and you, John, as well, because um, yeah, you might um, for your ministries. Um, but um, so so you were so you were arrested, badly treated, mistreated, abused, really, by the police there, um, and then charged. What were the charges for you then, Sean? Um, I One of them was, Michael probably know more than me, it was racism. It was racist, religious. Michael, do you know what it was? It was it, I was arrested for being racist, wasn't I? It's, it, it was a similar offence. It was a Section 5 public order offence, but it was aggravated by allegedly, um, uh, it was religiously aggravated. So you've got, you've, you've got the, the, the simple offence, which... Uh, what John was charged with, but then there's an aggravated offence, which if you are convicted, there's an uplift in sentence, which must be imposed in the event of a conviction. And um, so likewise with, with John's trial, we, uh, we pleaded not guilty. It was adjourned and adjourned, partly uh, in fairness as a result of COVID. Um, but uh, eventually it came to trial and we had a full trial. And uh, Sean gave evidence and um, the complainants, uh, the complainant gave evidence, and uh, they disclosed on the day of trial this this video, body worn footage of the police talking to the complainant. And I remember him saying to the to the video, he was you know he was white, Anglo-Saxon, uh, don't think he had any particular religion, but he said, look, I'm not offended, but other people might be offended as a result of what this person is saying. And and that was really uh, the principal reason why this whole thing went forward. And he gave so evidence. Pause there a minute, Michael. Sorry. The police interviewed somebody who said, I'm not offended, but I think that maybe someone else might be offended. And the police said, right, that's it. Should arrest them, you know, interrogate them, take their coat off them, force them to walk around a place in the rain and then mm -hmm. charge them, 
go through a whole trial, all the expense of, of, of an actual court trial and everything, you know, and then finally for it to be dropped because the, the rumour of you might offend somebody is not an offence. It's not a it's not a crime. No. What happened here? They didn't actually charge it because there is no offence. There's no criminal offence of offending people. But that was the basis of really what the genesis of it, how it all started off in the first place. And so it was uh, uh, the charge of Section 5 Public Order uh, reads that if you use threatening or abusive words of behaviour, um, which causes harassment, alarm and distress uh, in the sight of somebody who is likely to cause harassment, alarm and distress. And so what they have to show is not offence, but they have to show that somebody has been threatening, which Sean was it, or this was abusive and caused <laughs> alarm and distress. And so obviously we went to trial and we, we made submissions about the fact that, you know, that it just didn't. Um, and the magistrates very sen uh, sensibly decided after having heard all the evidence, I think they're out for just a couple of minutes, they acquitted Sean uh, unanimously and, you know, left and, and we got our uh, costs, which was, which was good. And the funny thing was, is that Sean the other day turned around to me and, and he said to me, he said, Michael, when am I going to get my compensation? And I said, what do you mean, Sean? He said, listen, every time I've been in trouble before, I've actually done something wrong. But on this occasion, I didn't do anything wrong. So when am I going to get my compensation? And I said, Sean, I love to say that you're going to get compensation. But unfortunately, it's extremely <laughs> unlikely that we're going to be able to get you some compensation for this false allegation. But, um, yeah, so we're very thankful. Sean, that do, the, do the police um, remember you or know your background from before or not? Yes, I think this is why... You know, when I got in the station, I think because obviously in the past I had a few fights with police officers and I've been charged for assault. And, and I think that when they see me pop up, um, Bible Sean now, as they all call me, I think <laughs> that they thought, I think that they thought, here we go. Let's give him some stick. And I think that's what they've, they've done. Right. And I can see that Naomi's on Facebook commented there, quoting from the Bible, blessed are you, Sean, when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my, as in Jesus' sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, so, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Well, there you go. Take that, um, Sean. Um, and um, and so, yeah, this, this got dropped. But uh, what concerns me here, Sean, is that you were, you were not actually criticising anybody alive. Right. You weren't no. actually, you know, speaking about it. You were actually talking about Muhammad and yeah. you were actually quoting from Islamic scriptures um, that, about what Muhammad did. And they, uh, you know, somebody perceived that somebody might be offended because you're talking about history, giving a history lesson about Muhammad. Yeah. And um, and you get arrested and charged for all that. And just um, it was just um, earlier this month, I think the government um, decided not to pursue a formal definition of Islamophobia. But if we had got a definition of Islamophobia in law, um, that, that would be a criminal offence to insult Muhammad, um, potentially at yeah. least. I will, I, will still, I will still carry on uh, preaching regardless of what it is, because I've got to stand for truth. But um, it was, it was a, it's a shock to me, because I've never been offended at my own book, The Bible, Anyone can say stuff to me about the Bible and I, I just rub it off my back, you know. It's, it's, it's a hard situation to be offended by your own book. Mm. You know, mm. I, only quoted, I only quoted out the Quran and the Hadiths. You know? Well, and it was somebody else who wasn't even Muslim who was saying that somebody else again might have been offended. It's an extraordinary thing. John, just tell us from your perspective, John, 
Sean obviously was you know, previously sort of insulting you, whatever he was doing. What's your perspective on Sean's story here from your own perspective of it? I mean, to be honest, Sean, I mean, Sean is very uh, humble. His background, his actual full um, conversion is quite amazing. Um, what Jesus has done in his life. And I think this is the whole reason why we should be out preaching the gospel. Because as Christians, we're called, we're called to live a sacrificial life. It's not about us. It's not about our safety. It's not about our comfort. It's about what God can do in people. Like Sean O'Sullivan, who was a notorious criminal in Swindon, arrested over 300 times. And yet... Wow through the preaching of the gospel, he is being transformed. And to God, that's worth more than the whole world. Because in, in Sean's eyes, the Lord says, what good is it if you inherit the whole earth and death, lose your own soul? So just, I mean, when I came out of hospital, I was sat knowing that I probably wouldn't preach again. And I said, Lord, I just hope that one person got converted from what I did. I mean, I've been preaching for 15 years. And then Sean contacted me out of the blue, said, do you remember me? I'm now a Christian. And, uh, huh. you know, it's just amazing. That little man that used to insult me and threaten me every day is now on fire for Christ. And it's all worth it. I would... I would preach another 15 years and lose another voice box just to have another convert like Sean. It's wonderful. Fantastic. It is fantastic. And, and John, tell us a bit about your own background and your own conversion story as well. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm the son of a, of a former SAS soldier. My father served in the SAS in the 1950s. I trained with the SAS and Dutch Special Forces, Israeli Special Forces in close quarter combat for about four years. I, I made it my interest on how to kill people because I hated people. And life happened to me. I came to a place where I was smashed, trashed and bashed by this world and wanted to end my life. And to cut a long story short, I got invited to go on an Alpha course run by the Church of England. Mm -hmm. and, and somebody prayed for me this day, the 25th of November 2000. And I had a personal encounter with Jesus that shocked me. I didn't realize that he was actually alive. But he showed up and uh, transformed my life in an instant. And I thought, my goodness, he's really alive. Not like, you know, Van Gogh lives through his paintings, but he's really alive. Mm. And I thought the world needs to know this. He's not a dead religion. He's mm. not a book. He's not a building. He's really the son of the living God. And, and 
And so the Lord just started to work in me. Um, I saw a street preacher after about two years of being converted. I saw a street preacher and I just said, Lord, please don't ever ask me to street preach. I could never do it. <laughs> and, so, and so I was fully qualified. You know, there's, there's so many people, so many Christians that say, well, I could just never street preach. Well, fully qualified. Because God wants to do through you. He doesn't want you to do it. Amen. The Holy Spirit wants to speak through you. So if you, if you can't and, um, and fully qualified, go and do it. And John, what's normally the reaction when you preach? Obviously, some people react like Sean reacted and, and hate it. But you never know what God's doing in their heart when yeah. that happens. And what about how often might people ask for prayer and things like that when you preach? Yes, because when they get angry, they come and they get in your face. And so it gives you a good opportunity to actually start talking to them. Mm -hmm. And nine times out of ten, when you talk to them and you explain why you're actually out on the streets and what Jesus has done for you, it ends up they ask for prayer. And I've seen many, many many people instantly healed of all wow. sorts of conditions um, because Jesus said that he would confirm his word with signs mm. Mark chapter 16 mm. and so I've seen people come up with crutches, I've seen a woman get out of a wheelchair after eight years instantly wow. healed wow. and so um, you know and then Jesus becomes a reality for them not it's just true. it's your opinion now jesus becomes mm. very real to them yeah fantastic yeah, yeah. and sean what about yeah. you what kind of reactions have you seen when you when you preach <laughs> um it's in, yeah it's interesting um i've seen a lot of hatred and i understand that it triggers people off but the thing i've noticed about the people that are most angry at me is they're the ones that are really listening because we had a situation recently where this um, the LBG they turned up to counteract what me and John were doing with others because um, on that I go under John's sort of Lord Ministries now and um, they were coming week in and week out and I spoke to some of them in town and asked them why they stopped coming. They're starting to realise that we don't hate them, we just we believe what we believe. So it's starting to challenge their their way of thinking about us. And so we're starting to get some fruitful conversations and mm. people always, you know, wherever Jesus went, he caused the stir, you know, he, people wanted to push him over the cliff. You know, you're going to have um, people who think it's great that you're preaching and you're obviously going to have pushback. But, you know, I've seen recently a lot of preachers that are rising up now through going out together and preaching. We're seeing mm. We're seeing people who are very hardened to the gospel to now start coming asking me questions, you know. Mm. You know, why why do you endure this persecution? Why do you endure people mocking you? Why do you you know, Jesus said love them, you know, when these people are being horrible to you, you know, to to love them and to act genuinely love them. 
you know, I don't hold any bitterness or anger towards any of the people that push me, go to punch me, mock me on them streets. Because yeah, you've been punched, it's a war. It's a war for the soul of man. I wasn't mm. going to get saved with... Um, no one was going to lead me to Christ with just putting an arm around me. Mm. You were going to... Mm. You were going to actually enable me to stay in my rebellion. If you if you walked up to me and said, Jesus loves you, Sean, and then God bless you, off you go. Yes, I understand that God, Jesus died for the world, but you could have left me in a state of thinking that it's okay to live how I was. Mm. It's not until yeah. someone really challenged my way of living and started yeah. breaking down the way of the lies that that's when I was triggered off. And that's when you either humble yourself and repent or you fight against it. And that's what I did. And there was one time on the streets that John Dunn, I never forget it. And it, I still think about it. The Lord Jesus Christ told him to give me the bank card. He knew I was a drug addict. He seen me every day. And he was a bit like, should I give it? He gave me the bank card to go get some money. There was some money in his account. And I physically could not press the button to take. I was on my way to go out stealing. And I couldn't take more than what, what, what he said to take. And I took that back and I gave him back and I walked down the road confused <laughs> because he showed, he showed me trust. Someone showed me trust for the first time in my life. Wow. Wow. And, and I wasn't yeah, there's a few questions coming in now. One from G on YouTube. Um, it'd be great to hear from Sean and John what they would say to encourage other Christians who are afraid to share the gospel for fear of arrest or ridicule, or perhaps I could add, um, losing your job. What would you what do you say? John, start with you for that. What I would say is this. One day you're gonna stand before God, and I would rather fear God and go out and preach the gospel rather than fear man and keep my mouth shut. I don't have a voice box, but I still go out and preach the gospel because it's not an option. Yes. It can be scary, but when you go out and you open your mouth, Amen. the Holy Spirit comes in and he gives you a peace that passes all understanding. That's why he's called the comforter. He's not the comforter to keep you comfortable on your settee. Mm. He's the comforter to comfort you when you're in an uncomfortable situation. So be encouraged. Don't be afraid. Jesus is with you. Let him do it through you. He will strengthen you. And you will find that you will have a courage and a boldness that does not come from you. Mm, fantastic. Well, Sean, what would you say? I would say that. It's, it's yes, you're going to feel a, a force, a pushback of not doing it. But Jesus said, lay your life down. Um, what's more important, people hearing the message of truth or, or what people think about us? You know, and also if you could get connected to local street preachers, you know, go around them and, and learn and ask and, and just try and step out. You know, God will take over. There's never going to be a time in your flesh that you feel like, oh, I'm going to do it. You have to just push past that. And every single time, God has never let me down. He always takes over in the Holy Spirit. And it's beautiful. So, you know, just keep going and just step out. Remember that there was people, people of the faith that are killed around the world to not renounce their faith. 
it's important. Mm-hmm. We are in such a crucial time in the in the world that we need we need fellow laborers. We need people to stand up. We need people who had a boldness like George Whitfield and John Wesley. We need people that say, you know what? I'm not clinging on to this world. I'm letting go. And I'm going to warn the masses. I'm going to tell people that Jesus died on the cross. You know, just to step out in faith and see what God does. Amen. You know, he so, will. Um, I've got a question here, probably for Mike, this one from Mark Kieran, is it on YouTube? Um, how often do street preachers get arrested? Would have thought that the well-publicized unlawful arrest that bloke in Southgate would have stopped it. Now, Mike, you've had, I think it must be, we've had, is it about 70 street preachers that um, we've got stories of that we've helped that have been arrested and charged sometimes and every single case has been cleared. So um, how often does it happen, the point one, and secondly, why why is it happening? It's certainly one thing is absolutely certain is becoming more and more frequent you know, maybe when we first started doing this work about 10 or so years ago, there was maybe about one a year that would get arrested or inter- and prosecuted. And now, probably in terms of either an interview or an arrest, it's about one a month, I'd say probably at the very least. Wow. So the thing is this, is that unfortunately, you know, we may well uh, publicise or there may well be good publicity in relation to some of the acquittals and to some of the compensation which has been paid out to people like Hatoon. Um, however, you know, that doesn't filter down to every man on the street and certainly not even every police officer on the street. And so the police, I'm afraid to say, as well as Crown prosecutors, remain ignorant. They remain ignorant of people's rights and uh, the right to freedom of religion, right to freedom of speech. And they are just part of, I mean, I mean, they soak in the culture. And the culture says, going back to the very beginning, to offend is an offence. And so they honestly... So many of them do believe, and I hear this so often from officers around the country, that if people are offended, you have committed a crime. And that is the false uh, understanding that they labor under night and day. And so it's, it's maybe it's some of the uh, higher up officers, the sergeants, the inspectors and so on. They understand that there is a right to freedom of um, But the, the average Bobby on the beat just does not understand it. And when you go into a police station, you realize why. Um, you see the posters on the wall, you see the organizations which are campaigning to the police, and you can see uh, that that is just everywhere you go. And you even, you know, even into the um, standard uh, SDO, the station duty office, you will see the posters on the wall. Look around at what you see the police displaying, and that is where they're getting their information from. It's not even the law very often. It is just. Explain what you mean. What kind of posters do you mean, Mike? Sorry? What kind of posters do you mean? Well, uh, posters which uh, very often convey a certain narrative in terms of diversity. Now, um, and the suggestion is, is that there are certain crimes that the police are maybe more interested in than other crimes. Um, I think we said recently that, you know, the police should be more interested in streets and not tweets. And, uh, you know, and there was a case recently where uh, the police turned up, knocked on somebody's door because they'd posted online a swastika made out of um, LGBT flags. Now, why, you know, why are the police like that? You know, what interest is it to the police that somebody expresses an opinion which is offensive to some people? You know, maybe I wouldn't have done the same thing. I'm sure I wouldn't have done the same thing. However, that does not matter. 
what matters is this, is that the police should be interested in defending the king's peace and peace, uh, look, and defending people's property rights and people's bodily rights as well. You know, and what they were there, that's what they were sworn in to do. But instead, what we've seen through uh, court cases like this is that the police are now more interested in, uh, on occasions, political ideology rather than defending uh, people's property and um, and and um, defending the Queen's peace. Well, Mike, we you know we need to see this changed, obviously. And uh, yeah, obviously, the other case that we had recently was Hassan Tash, um, who been arrested several times in Speaker's Corner uh, for preaching and criticizing Islam. And um, we, she won an apology and ten thousand pounds of conversation um, in that case. Um, and um, one hopes that the police will learn their lesson, but we will see. But behind the scenes, Mike and I were in a meeting with some senior police officers earlier this week discussing this very point, and uh, we're hopeful that there may be some opportunity for change there. So do pray about that, um, and uh, we hope that the police will change their attitude in these things, particularly when they find, as we pointed out, they never ever. These charges never ever succeed. So why are they arresting people and charging them when they never ever get a criminal offence on it? Um, listen, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your stories, Sean and John, and for your valuable ministry and your courage and boldness and conviction uh, that challenges all of us um, in in the gospel. Uh, bless your ministries, and uh, I'm sure God will expand them and grow them and increase your reach and uh, your opportunities um, over time. And we're grateful for what you do. And uh, thank you for watching us and joining with us today. Um, hope you found that as inspiring and faith-building as I did. Um, and uh, look forward to catching up with you again in due course. And um, do follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and various other platforms. And uh, connect with us on email as well. And uh, look forward to catching up again soon. Thank you. Thank you.